Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Tito Meliga. Tito is an executive creative director, art director, executive producer, and right now, a COVID-19 crusader and entrepreneur. Tito, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you for having me, my friend. Good to have you. So you made a thing. We made a thing. You know, we looked around and uh, we saw a need and we said, hey, you know, what are the things that we can do and control? And here we are. Just a week later, we have something that seems to be helping people. So it feels very good. Yeah, I was looking at uh, your idea. We're going to get into it. And, and I just said, this is the disruption. You are going to disrupt COVID-19. Just a small little project here, but you've created this thing called a mask for all. I mean, why don't you explain it to the listeners? So a mask for all is really a collaboration, right? It's, it's an effort between three people, myself here in California, Justin Nosbaum, who's a 3D printing savant, who's in Tennessee, and Amine Areski, who is a roboticist and designer in Stuttgart, Germany. And I'll tell you later how we got together. But what we did is uh, very early on, <laughs> it's, it's funny to say early on, it's only three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we started to hear the news that, uh, you know, there were like some PPE shortages, in particular masks. And when I met our, uh, just by happenstance, Amine, and I heard that he had an idea for a 3D printable mask, I just knew I had to connect it with Justin and that there was an opportunity to come together and put something out there that people could actually use. And, right, well, before you go, before you go, because I think how this all came about is also interesting, right? Because, you know, we're living in this, you know, crazy COVID world and you happen to be, it was on a Zoom call with Musa, right? Musa yes. of, uh, of Airbnb. I mean, talk, I mean, maybe just talk a little bit about how the thing kind of happened. Uh, so one day, about three weeks ago again, Musa Tariq found himself with a council meeting. And he had an hour to kill. And it happened to be around lunchtime. So doing what Musa does, which is, you know, he's an amazing connector. He actually put out an invite on Twitter to say, hey, I have an hour. Here's a Zoom link. Let's get on a Zoom, whoever's around. And of course, a few people showed up. They have fun. It was great. So the next day, they, it became a date. You know, let's have lunch. By the third lunch, I finally had a, a free lunch hour. And I said, I'm going to join and it was fantastic. There was about 30, 40 people on the call. And one of those people was Amine Areski from Germany. And among the many things that we talked about, and it was obviously all about what's happening and what could we do and how are we feeling and giving each other tips on how to cope and how to you know, deal with just even being at home, which is a whole new different you know, ball game. And Amine happened to mention in that call that he had this thought for a 3D printable mask. And that's when, you know, what we do sometimes as creative directors is that we basically just make connections, right? You hear an idea here, you hear something completely different on the other side, and something happened in your brain, you put them together, and suddenly it's a better idea. So when I heard that, I asked for permission to connect after the call live because I knew I wanted to put him in touch with Justin. Mm. And next thing you know, you know, love in the time of Zoom, the next morning we all got on a Zoom call at 9 a.m., which became a recurring event for us. And the three of us started working together on this idea and designing and refining and prototyping this mask. 
and within a week it was out in the world. It, it's just, it's breathtaking. I mean, just, just the whole thing. I think what's, to me, where I start to, where, where I was really attracted to what you were up to was we had industry working on this. So 3M, the master of the N95 working on this. We have Apple, we have Nissan, we have uh, the domestic car makers in Detroit all working on masks. We've got James Dyson, you know, working on, on ventilators. And I love your idea of, well, can there be even more help? Can we get there faster? Can there be a better way? And I think that's what I saw as being very powerful, is that you kind of put a few pieces together and realized that, wait a minute, 3D printing is our friend. I mean, have you had any experience with 3D printing that got you here? I had zero experience with 3D printing, but I knew enough to know that it was doable, that it was possible, you know. And it also, all of this came about at a time where we still haven't really heard from the Fords of the world and the GMs of the world mm -hmm. building, you know, ventilators and, mm -hmm. you know, 3M and, and the stuff that was happening. All of that was happening behind the scenes, which is so a need. And then as the news progressed, and it progressed very quickly, within days, they were, you know, we knew about all these people doing all these things. The one thing that we talked about and identified was the fact that, okay, everybody's concentrated on the front lines, right, as they should, mm. and doing things for, you know, people who are out there, you know, in the emergency room, you know, mm. in ambulance, you know, in, in the IC unit. But nobody was really truly thinking, perhaps, I mean, obviously, it turned out there were other people thinking mm. about, about me at home, who I had just been told by my governor and my mayor and anybody who's an authority do not buy any masks because they're needed in the front lines. Mm. And if you have any, donate them. So that left me out a little bit. So we wanted to do a mask that will help people like me at home who, even if I didn't have a 3D printed, I may have known of somebody, have one, or have access to one through a library or a municipality or a company, or even, you know, UPS, uh, where you can actually go to some of their offices mm. and actually print so that's what we did it for. You know, it wasn't really for first responders and people on the front lines. It was for people like us. And that's why we wanted to be super flexible. We wanted to decide it with a filter that people can, you know, make up with like filtering materials you can find at home and things you can find in your local hardware store. And yeah, that's how we got involved as concerned citizens. Mm. We led the big game to the big guys, and uh, we just wanted to do something, you know, for the rest of us. Mm. Well, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about how you package it in a language uh, around that, but I still want to help people understand the what. So what is this mask for all? It is, you know, as it sounds, right? It's a mask for all of us. And then at time progress, it turned out to be that it will be truly for all of us because now people on the front lines are actually using it too. But it is, all it is at the end of the day, is a 3D printable face mask file that anybody with a 3D printer anywhere in the world can actually download and print. And, and, we and, where, and where do they get the protocol, the instructions, the blueprint for the actual mask? So there is a website, amaskforall.com. When you go and you see some really nice drawings and renderings of mm -hmm. our masks, you get a little tips on how to use it, what to do with it. And on, in that page, you will find a link that will take you to Thingiverse, which is an open source 3D printing website repository where you can go and actually download the file and instructions of you know, how to actually print it. Wow. So 
that's what it is. It's this interesting mask. And one of the things that I was reading about it is that you can clean it. It's you can use it, you know, for for several months. Well, I think it's more for days. It all depends on how many times you clean it, because we are at the mercy of the material that exists today. Mm. And I don't know enough to speak about this, you know, with certain level of credibility. But I do know that these filaments that we had today, some of them are very permeable. So mm. they might not be suitable, you know, to print this mask because you know things can just permeate through the mask itself. Mm. Uh, they are very malleable. So when you download our mask and you print it, you know, these things are hard. They're pretty much like a plastic mm. of sort. You can dip them in hot water for a few seconds and then mold them to your face because they become very pliable. And then when it hardens, it will just, you know, harden to the contour of your face. So people who had 3D printers, this is what I found about 3D printer community. <laughs> Please illuminate us. <laughs> it just, it feels to me like they're a little bit like the ham radio operators. <laughs> you know, where everybody knows everybody and everybody's connected and they're all exchanging ideas and they really riff off each other. Mm. And it's truly like an open source community. You know, we put the files out there and people take it, making their own, making better, mm. you know, proof it, comment. Um, so it, it's great that way. And that's the magic of it, that the mask gets, you know, better every day because of people like that. But yeah, these materials, these filaments, you know, there's, there's all kinds but for the most part, they all work, you know, to a certain degree. Hmm. So you see this problem, this opportunity, because I know you're a positive guy. You wouldn't see it as a problem. <laughs> and then you uh, work with these folks on this idea. I think it would also help maybe talk a little bit about the process, because we're talking 21 days. I mean, that's, a, that's all this has been. I mean, how did you do this? I mean, you're in three different locations, different time zones. What was the process? Uh, we have a standing date every day at 9 a.m. LA time, which was convenient for somebody in Tennessee and end of the day for somebody in Europe. We actually got in this like 24-hour, you know, rolling schedule where we would get together at that time. We see what we have and we hear, you know, the commentary and the advice from our designer from Amine in, in Europe. And then Justin in Tennessee will have all day, time permitting, he's a very busy man, to work on these new ideas and mm. what we do and be able to print prototypes. And it takes a while to print these things. You know, it takes like five, six hours each. Certain printers, you can print six at a time and so on and so forth. So that's, that's cool. So what happened is then by the end of the day, Justin will load something up, I'll be able to see it, but now Amine will be waking up in Europe and pick it up from there. Mm. And by the time we all got together the next day at 9 a.m., Amine had had pretty much a full day to work on the feedback from Justin. So it was an exponential leaping forward, mm. literally hour by hour. You know, we did, we did not, there was no downtime, let's put it that way. Yeah, amazing. And, and I, then I think that uh, something else that would be interesting to talk about too is just the clarity of the communication. I mean, it's called a mask for all. You had another nice bit of copy on the website, a mask for the people, by the people. How much did you sweat the language? Um, not a lot. I think it was just, you know, years of doing what we do and instinctively going for what's clearest and most impactful. Obviously, we, I'm very concerned about awareness as a marketer because I know that in order for this match to be of help, people need to know that it's there to start mm. with. So I need a little bit of language that everybody could understand right away what it is. 
and that it will sound like a great soundbite <laughs> as well. So, you know, maybe something that I learned from, uh, you know, a mentor here and there looking at you right now. <laughs> Very good. Now, uh, there is something else that you uh, had said that I really loved, which was that you're trying to weaponize creativity to fight COVID-19. Maybe talk a little bit about that, because I do feel that uh, I was thinking about just what you were doing, and, and it does feel like a crusade. And knowing what I know about you, I mean, I know that, you know, you love the power of creativity. I mean, again, does this feel like, uh, all I can say is like you're fighting in a war. Did you have that kind of mentality? Yeah, a little bit. Um, what felt different this time is that it felt like it was a war that we were all in it together. You know, usually we do these things on behalf of our clients. And I want to touch on this because um, I hear a lot, and I have used it, by the way, I've been guilty to say, these are unprecedented times. Mm. You know, every time you turn on TV spot right now, kind of you hear that phrase. And that's true probably for a lot of people. But I think that I have come to realize that for us as creatives, these are not really unprecedented times. I feel like every year when there is a hurricane in Florida and the Florence in Mississippi and the fires in California and the earthquakes in Japan and, you know, all these things that happen literally year over year, these are the times for us. You know, we are the ones that immediately go into this mode of what can we do? How can we help? Right. Yeah. And, and it's done in behalf of our clients. How can I help my client, you know, do what's right and then, you know, come ahead on the other end. It dawned on me that this time, we are all our own brand. I'm not doing this necessarily on behalf of a brand, but you know, if I think of myself as a brand, then yes, you know, I am my own brand. People are going to remember the things that I do, that each one of us do in this moment. You know, when all of this passes, a question of character, it's a question of principle, it's a question of valuables. It's all those things that brands should really care about, which you know happen to be the same things that people care about. That's why I felt. And it feels, you know, very, very personal to do this with these two, you know, very talented people. Is that it really feels like we're doing, you know, what's right, mm. not just for us and our families, you know, but for everybody else. And hopefully we'll help somebody, you know, mm. somewhere. So we've done our part. I mean, given that, and I, and I think the, the nobility <coughs> of this uh, is unquestioned. If there were a brand who could help you, who would you want to help you? Who could help you? Who do, who do you need? Mm. Well, it's tricky for brands, right? Because I always felt, and we talked about this on many occasions, you know, brands should always ask, do we have the permission to come and play in this sandbox, to come and help and do something, you know? If I were a shoe brand right now and I say, hey, you know what? We know it's tough for you. You're not making an income. So we're going to give you a shoes at 50% off. Mm, that doesn't sound like very good. <laughs> but if you're Adidas or if you're, you know, even Crocs or anybody like that, and I say, you know what, we're going to put all of our 3D printing, molding, injection, silicone, this and that, design and production mm -hmm. department to create masks and to create, you know, ventilators and multiplying valves. Then I think, okay, you have the permission because you do have the technology and, and the means to do it. Well, Today, I, what we need is really more companies that are able to come and print masks because we have had an incredible response and every day we get requests to do more and more masks. And there aren't enough companies out there that are working at least with us. You know, mm -hmm. they might be working with somebody else. We do yeah. have, today, I can tell you that the University of South Florida is starting to print them in quantities as probably as we speak. 
Wow. Uh, company in the UK is producing at least 150 masks. Uh, the mask is being downloaded and used you know, across the globe right now from Germany, the UK, Algeria, mm. Australia, Switzerland, Spain, Argentina, Colombia, France. So it is being appreciated, noticed, and hopefully you know, helping out there. But mm. we need more printing, mm. for sure, and uh, we need more awareness. Mm. Well, by the way, I love the idea of wrangling everybody's 3D printers. I mean, that's something that uh, would be really powerful. I'm not sure everybody's using their 3D printers, so this would be a good, uh, a good time to get them going. Right. A lot of people are, and I found out that there's over a million 3D printers, you know, in bedrooms and basements and workshops, you know, in America. I'm talking about home printers, wow. not industrial, you know, 500 printer farms. That's a lot of, that's a lot of power. If only 10% of those were making, you know, this mask, that's 100,000 masks, you know, right there. By the way, it reminds me uh, of, uh, of Dunkirk, you know, Dunkirk wrangled everybody's uh, boats to pick up, uh, you know, the folks who are across the channel. So maybe there's a kind of Dunkirk moment with 3D printers. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I think it's happening, Rob, to an extent. You know, our mask is not the only mask out there. Doctors in Montana have designed one. Mm. We first saw it right about the time that ours was coming into existence. And one thing that we noticed design-wise is that they have designed it in a way that in order to replace the filter, you had to reach inside and pop it out. Mm. And I felt that we all felt like, well, now you just contaminated, you know, the inside mm. of the mask by doing so. So our mask is designed so you can replace the filter from the outside. So you never had to really touch it. Mm. And, uh, you know, we learn from everybody else. And, and it's fantastic to know that there are many other masks out there that are being used and produced because, you know, we all need the help. Uh, everybody needs the help that we can get, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I hear you. Now, Tito, I, I, what you are doing is something you told me a long time ago, and I want you to talk to people about it. You told me this <coughs> phrase, which is ideas that do. This has been one of your uh, you know, guiding uh, principles in your work. When we work together, I you know, used to tell it to me a lot. So maybe talk to people about what, what are ideas that do. Well, I am of the belief, and I've been like in this belief for a long time now, probably since 2008, 2009, that... The, the last crisis. Yeah, exactly, the last crisis. That consumers sometimes move a lot faster than, you know, marketers do and brands do. And uh, a lot of time we're just chasing their habits, right? It's, uh, we, we do studies, we learn a strategy, focus groups, we learn what they want, what they need, anyhow. But one thing that struck me early on was that people have moved on from an era of just advertising and ads to an era of like experience. That's a word that we use today, brand experience. Mm -hmm. And I seen some studies that later corroborated that and went as far as saying that people expect from brands more today than they expect from their own governments. Mm. Another one that should be a reflection on our government, this is happening around the world. Mm -hmm. They expect us, you know, to solve the single container use problem, the, the plastic problem, the environment. They want us to do things faster, better, cheaper, sometimes free, most of the time free these days. Wow. And um, so it is, we have come to a place, I think, where we went from the medium being a message at some point, as in time, to behavior being the message. You know, what you do is who you are. It's the same for brands as it is for people. Mm. And 
so for 10 years now, maybe a little bit more, I've been advising my clients and working with people like you to come up with what we call ideas that do, which is basically don't just say something, go and do something. Do something that might have the potential to make somebody's lives better today or tomorrow. And, um, you know, do something that people will recognize that you're doing it again because from the heart, with full transparency, with empathy, you know, in order to be relevant in a lot of cars months today. So that's what ideas that do are, you know, it's simply go and behave in a way that is helpful to all. Because when you do that, it would also be helpful to you. Mm. And, and we usually talk about, you know, Facebook, there was a time where we were chasing likes, right? Like early days. And we say, well, you know, you had to do things, you know, that people like. And the way to do that is do things that, that are like them in order for them to like you back. And that really hasn't changed in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Very powerful. Now let's talk a little bit about how you got here, because uh, you uh, here you are, uh, you know, really at the center of a lot of great creativity. You've done some fabulous work throughout your career, but this journey uh, didn't uh, didn't start uh, over there in uh, in West LA. You you came from a long way, so maybe tell people how you got here a little bit. I know it's it's been a long journey, and it's been a fun one, ups and downs, um, sideways, everything. But hey, here we are. And uh, we're happy to do what we do. I think it's impossible to talk about my journey without touching on the fact that I'm not born and raised in America. You know, I was born and raised in a small town, two hours outside of Buenos Aires, you know, in, in Argentina. And um, at a time where it was a very hard time for Argentina, you know, in the, in the 70s when, you know, we have a military dictatorship, people were going missing. Uh, we had hyperinflation in the 80s. You know, so I early on had this idea that if I left and I came to America, looking for the American dream, by the way, that eventually I'll be able to look back and be able to help my family back at home, as opposed to 20 years later, still living with my parents, like a lot of us Italians, you know, sometimes do. And that's how it turned out to be, you know. So I came here in 1988, 19 years old, backpack, $100 in my pocket. I knew how to count to 10 in English. <laughs> and I knew one person in Columbus, Indiana. And I want to mention these people because these people have been like the defining family, you know, in my life besides my own. You know, these are the family of Robert and Judy Rood. They really took me in as a son that they never had. And they gave me the opportunity to get an education, learn my language, find my way, and eventually make it to, you know, where you and I are sitting talking here, which is, you know, pretty damn amazing. So that's on a personal view. Work-wise, if you're going to look at a milestone that changes mm. things, you know, there's, there's two. One is the internet, when the internet came around and things absolutely change. Mm. Um, and we went from that era of ads. Hey, a campaign was just, you know, three out of home wars, three TV spots, three radio spots were done. It's suddenly an era like we're today of experience, mm. you know, and I think that I found my groove a little bit, you know, in that era of experience um, where I could suddenly talk about not just ideas, but really behaviors, right? Um, so that was, that was really helpful and it changed everything for me. And the other defining moment is, you know, when my life changed when I became a pirate and when I went to TBWA, you know, LA, uh, first as a digital creative director and then as the ECD running, you know, Nissan in the Americas. 
which gave me exposure to you know a global network, a global client with global needs. It helped me understand you know what globalization really is, thinking global, acting local, mm. localization, the importance of that. It helped me develop a skill that was probably already inside me, but I haven't had a chance to flex it or learn the skill, which is that skill of collaboration across mm. languages, you know, across uh, borders, you know, ideologies. Well, what I found interesting is how we actually met. And I think it says a lot about you, which mm-hmm. is you were running a TEDx, I think Culver City or Hollywood, Hollywood TEDx, I think it was. TEDx Hollywood, yeah. And, uh, you know, we met on social media. You know, we met on Twitter. And uh, we developed a relationship, exactly what you're talking about with what you're doing today with the mask. This was a, a relationship that happens through social media, through the digital world that is then taken into the real world. Uh, and I can't tell you, you know, I've met so many amazing people through the interwebs. And uh, I think that's, you know, one thing I think is, is, is really interesting, but I think the fact that you were running a TEDx, you were already somebody who stood for ideas. Hey, ideas that spread, right? That's TED. And here you were, hey, I want to put together this show. You know, and you're just a guy, you know, you're just, you know, at that time you were, you know, another good art director out there. But the side hustle of Ted said to me, well, maybe this guy has got something a little bit different. And sure enough, it, it is emblematic of everything you, you're, you've done through your career and where you are today, which is taking good ideas, finding the best ways to bring them to life and then spreading them. You know, it's, it's, it's 100% true. Thank you. Thank you for putting it that way. And it is about technology, right? It's technology that brings mm-hmm. us together, that opens the doors. But it's also about us being open to the universe, right? And to let those things come into our lives. Because it's, it's really easy just to sit down and just turn on Netflix <laughs> or Amazon Prime, you know, and um, versus looking around and saying, hey, you know, what can I do? That's, that's a different step that not everybody takes. And if I have one thing that I could say to the creative community out there is that, you know, we might be home right now with or without jobs, but it does not mean that creativity has to stop or that you left it at the office, you know? For some of us who are feeling down or perhaps not feeling particularly productive, well, maybe we do what I did, which is do what I will be doing for my clients, is raise a hand and say, you know, what's needed? What can I do to help? What are the things that I can control? And then go and do, right? Take that step. There is a lot that we can do today through technology that we couldn't a million years ago. You know, I mean, here's a perfect example. Three guys meet on a Zoom and a week later, a mask for all, you know, exists in the world and, and it's, you know, helping. Yeah, it's just incredible. Now maybe before we wind down, uh, maybe talk a little bit about I don't know, just the, the effect of your mother and where we are today in a, in a healthcare crisis. My mother, uh, Mirta Aliano, was uh, all my life as I knew, he was a nurse, just a nurse, nothing else. Didn't go to college, didn't become a doctor, just a regular nurse. And yet, through sheer determination and guts and basically complete and selfishness. You know, she became the head of OB and pediatrics of a local hospital back in Bragado. Uh, and she ran it for a very long time. 
and she's loved and she's revered. And it's all because I never met anybody that cared more about others than my mother. Mm. And I think that's something that as a son, you can't just really leave behind. You know, it's just something that she put in me. I brought it here and it helps me every day. And matter of fact, if you look at every one of my emails or whatever, at the end, you're going to see a little signature that says care the most. And care the most has become that motto of my, you know, life, you know, as a creative, but also as a human person, you know, out there in the real world. And it's what I try to inspire my teams to do, care the most about the work, care the most about your clients, care the most about each other. And if you do that, you just cannot help it but to do the best work you can possibly can, right? And then everybody wins. And uh, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, my mom. Well. Care the most, that's very powerful. Ideas that do, that's very powerful. You know, we, at this point in the show, we, we ask our guests to give one piece of advice. You've already given two. So I don't even know if you could top those two between care the most and ideas that do. But, you know, we've got CMOs who listen. We've got uh, rising stars who listen. What's a good piece of advice for somebody? So if we're going to speak to marketers out there, to, to our clients, who, by the way, make all of this possible. Hmm. I would say that right now, there's a lot, if not all of them out there, have probably invested a tremendous amount of energy on mitigating the present and preparing for the worst in the near, maybe even far future. Some of them are probably feeling really good. Some of them might even be sleeping at night, right? And that's great, but I would say that the news for them is that we're not done. Okay, we're far from it. I don't think this is the time to just prepare for the worst, but it's also the time to prepare for the best. Mm. Because what happens when we come out of this? And we will come out of this. And I believe that will happen is that we're going to see an explosion of wants and needs from consumers and customers everywhere. And we as marketers and brands have to be ready for that demand. Otherwise, we'll be one failure compounding another. And if you look for an example, I mean, look what happened in China when they relaxed the travel restrictions. Every tourist attraction got completely mobbed by people to the point that they had to be closed again. <laughs> Not because of the virus, but because too many people. And, you know, I mean, I guess it was about the virus. In Florida, just last Friday, you know, they opened the beaches. Boom. Everybody there. And if you were to believe the analysts, you know, at UBS, they are saying that right now, booking volume for cruises of all travel industry cruises are up 9% from this time last year for 2021. Oh my heavens, that is optimism. So <laughs> that is optimism, and, but it's also true. You know, um, We have been now in a period where at home, I'm not saying it's going to be the same. It will never be the same. But we are all going to be eager to go out and keep on living, right? To have some sense of coming back to normalcy. And for a lot of people, that's going to mean traveling and uh, taking great, you know, advantage of the amazing deals that are happening or that will happen and so on and so forth. So my advice to marketers will be just kind of like scenario plan for the best as well as the worst. Very good. Well, Tito, good to see that, uh, you're a force of nature, then, now, and forever. So uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, a mask for all. That is a disruptive idea right here, a mask for all. And you can find out 
more about it uh, at the, the dot com. What is it? Emasforall.com? Exactly. Yes. Emasforall.com. I like how you did that. That's very simple. Emasforall.com. <laughs> All right, my friend. That's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such an honor to see you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.